Let's look to the Lord in prayer before we look into a mother's nurturing loyalty. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for every word of Scripture. And we thank you that Scripture can be instructive to us about all issues of life. And we would pray that as we look into uh, the story of uh, Ruth and Naomi and the family of Elimelech, that uh, you would instruct our hearts today by your word and by your Holy Spirit. In thy name we ask these things. Amen. One of the deepest hurts a mother can have is that hurt that comes when a child they have raised in some way becomes a betrayer of the family relationship. We see this hurt in many situations when a child forsakes the faith in which they were reared, when they take up a habit that they know their parent disapproves, when they marry outside of their parents' will. All of these kinds of things make that mother somehow feel betrayed. Conversely, one of the greatest joys a mother can have is that warmth of reward that comes from knowing her children are loyal to her and to her teaching. It is even a greater reward when there are many things that might work against that loyalty. And such was the case for Naomi and Ruth. Ruth was an in-law rather than a natural daughter. She grew up under a different religion and a different culture with less time to get to know her mother, who was a mother-in-law. Yet I think there's no greater statement of loyalty than that given by Ruth to her mother-in-law, Naomi, in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Though I don't want to take anything away from Ruth's choice of following Naomi, I believe a mother today could learn something from Naomi about how to nurture loyalty. And so I want to share with you three principles of relationship building that are evident in Naomi. And I believe these helped to nurture the loyalty of her daughter-in-law. I believe if you apply these in your own situations to your children, to your son and daughters and daughters-in-law, you too can nurture their loyalty toward you. Then as you guide them, it will help build their loyalty toward God. And the first point is to be the personification of pleasantness. Naomi was pleasant in her person. First of all, her name means pleasant. And we recognize her pleasantness in the submission to her husband's leading. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites 
from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 4 points out that the beauty of a quiet spirit for a woman is very pleasant for her husband. He sees her as beautiful through her submission. And Proverbs gives the contrast. In Proverbs 25, 24, it says, Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. And Proverbs 27, 15, and 16 says, A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Restraining her is like the restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. I think Solomon knew something about uh, having too many wives to try to take care of. It may well have been that Naomi would rather have stayed in her hometown of Bethlehem when her husband said, hey, we're going to go to Moab. We know that most of the relatives stayed because they were there when she returned. It may be that her husband was impatient or was not very full of faith in the Lord's ability to supply during a famine. Of course, he didn't realize that he would be part of the line from which Messiah would come. There's a very real sense in which God's plan for the ages was possibly being compromised by this man's unwillingness to stay in Israel through the times of famine and trust the Lord for relief. It may have been God's judgment upon a lack of faithfulness on Elimelech's part that caused him to leave the land of their inheritance. Or he may have just been a pragmatist. Whatever the case... From our vantage point in history, we know that God purposed to have a child through this line become King David of Israel, a man after God's own heart, and the one who would establish a line through whom Messiah would come. Satan may have been seeking to thwart God's plan by cutting off this line before it could be established. Elimelech and both of his sons died so that it would appear that the line was dead. The daughters the sons married were foreigners, so it would appear there could be no legal inheritance passed on. But God had other purposes that are developed through a mother-in-law and daughter-in-law relationship of great loyalty. Yet, she went with him. She was true to him in submission. We find no complaint or argument in Scripture. We know that things did not go well for them. Her husband died. She raised her two sons, and they married Moabite women from the region. And then her two sons also died. And she heard that the famine was over in Judah and planned to return. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you've shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Notice the nature of her prayers for her daughters and the petitions toward them. They were godly prayers. It's, may the Lord be with you. May the Lord show kindness to you. They were kindly prayers. She wanted favor for those daughters-in-law from God. And she recognized it's God who can give it. They were grateful prayers, as you have shown kindness to your husbands and to me. She had no criticism of these daughters-in-law. 
And she said, you know, you've been, you've been kind. They were empathetic. May you find rest. She recognized that even though she had suffered bitter blows to her life, they too had suffered bitter blows. And she feels with them in their suffering the loss of their husbands. They were altruistic prayers. May you find rest in the home of another husband. And this was solely hoping for the good of the girls, not for her own good. They could be a benefit to her, but she does not ask them for that. Another husband would likely take them further from her, and she would be truly alone. And yet she prayed for that because that would be best for them. She was willing for that to come to pass. Mom, how do you pray for your children? Do your children hear you pray for them? Do they hear your altruism? Do they hear your godliness and your kindness and see your reliance on the Lord modeled? As Joanne and I came back after retiring in uh, Kansas to live in mom's basement and help care for her in her final years. We got a baby monitor because mom was getting where she would get up in the middle of the night and we needed to know so she didn't suffer a fall and she did suffer some falls. But one of the great privileges that we had is we would hear mom go to bed and she began to pray. And she would pray through each of her children and through each of her grandchildren and through each of her great-grandchildren for God's blessing on our lives. What a privilege it was to hear that as her son. How do you pray for your children? Do they know you're praying for them, Mom? She had pleasantness in her practices. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back to you and your people, with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. And at this, they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. I want you to see that she openly showed affection. She kissed them. Touch communicates. And positive touch, such as embraces and kisses and caresses, communicate acceptance and love and affirmation and attachment. And moms, you need to do that with your kids. Negative touch or avoidance of touch can communicate just the opposite. I once observed a mother who always held her baby away from her face, out on the edge of her knee as far away as possible. 
and I observed that this was her constant pattern. And she was communicating that she didn't really want to embrace that baby as her own. That baby was an inconvenience and an obligation. And I thought, boy, this is a child who's going to need some counseling in a few years. She's going to feel unloved and rejected by her own mother. The truth is I have counseled many children in their teenage years especially who felt unloved and rejected by their mothers. She may end up with a full-blown attachment disorder of some kind. It would be easy for a child like that to become disloyal to their mother. Touch is important. Embrace your kids. She's Naomi is rational in the face of the emotional. It says, they wept, and she said, why would you come with me? Now, moms need to be the adult, the person in control of themselves when things go banana in your circumstances and your children could easily panic. Moms need to be able to think clearly and rationally about options when there is pressure due to circumstances beyond their control in the lives of their kids. I want to say my wife is great at this. Uh, through our kids' growing up years, I've had the tendency to be gone when the emergencies hit. <laughs> Usually it was at work. And I don't know how many times Joanne took Tori or Todd or Tom to the hospital for stitches or for getting their stomach cleaned out because he may have ingested poison. I remember her telling about a time when we were actually keeping the pastor's son, who was the same age as, as our son, and the, the pastor's son and daughter while they were away at a retreat. And the daughter was a teenager who had um, uh, fingernail polish remover in her room. And uh, the boys got away, and, and they went up to her room and uh, came back down going, <laughs> and Joanne went up and checked the fingernail polish remover, and it was empty. And she thought, oh, no. Boy, if these two boys chugged that fingernail polish remover, we're in trouble. And so she rushed them to the hospital, and the nurse gave the boys Ipecac and, a, and gave her a, a big um, container to catch the vomit. And uh, a few minutes later, the nurse came back and the container was filled with vomit. And she said, great, it's working. And Joanne says, no, no, that's me. <laughs> They're gagging and gagging and it brings it out of me. I'm sorry. Fortunately, that, that uh, container of fingernail polish remover was almost empty. The kids had just tasted a little bit on the tip of their tongue. But Joanne has always been able to do the right thing when it would be easy to panic. And then Naomi gave a realistic assessment of the situation. She gave realistic advice. Go back. She was realistic about herself, her age. She says, I'm too old for another husband, too old to have a newborn son to become the daughter's Levirate husband. 
the expectations of the daughters, it, it, she was realistic about that. It would be too long for them to wait for her to help provide a husband for them. This was a part of her cultural responsibility, but she knew she had no prospects at this time and could not guarantee them any prospects. And her assessment of her own spiritual condition is the Lord's hand has gone out against me. I think it's important to recognize that this is not a complaint of injustice nor an accusation against God. It's a confession of his sovereignty in the realistic assessment of what has happened in her life. And we don't know if she understood or did not understand what God was doing in any larger perspective. We do know that in the face of all that she had suffered, loss of her husband, loss of two sons, she understood that for whatever reason, God had allowed this suffering and was still in control, even though she felt at this point like she was under his judgment, she remained faithful to her belief in God. You know, some possible explanations for such a statement are, she may have felt that her husband was wrong to leave the land of his inheritance, and that uh, when there was a famine and, and he should have trusted God and instead God judged him and the sons with death. She may have felt that God had somehow been merciful to deliver her husband and sons during times of hardship through death, but continued to afflict her because perhaps some sin in the past, she may have seen herself as under God's judgment because of the sins of Israel in general and her identification with the nation. Developing pleasantness in your personality is not talking about trying to turn an introvert into an extrovert. It's not trying to, uh, uh, you can be an introvert and have pleasantness. It's not trying to get you to develop what I call a spotlight personality that's the center of attention whenever you walk into a room. You know, pleasantness in your personality is, is like providing soil for the seeds of loyalty to grow in. Pleasantness in practices is like shining sunshine on the, on the plant, and pleasantness in prayers is like providing water for the plant. Every mother is a teacher, whether she sees herself as one or not, and one of the things that uh, Naomi did was to be the pedagogue of public propriety. Some of what she taught that helps build loyalty in Ruth is told us she had propriety in the workplace. When they arrived in the homeland of Naomi, which is a new land to Ruth, Naomi's teaching Ruth about this culture and how to live here, and it's vital to Ruth's ability to adjust and, sur to adjust and survive in the culture. And the first teaching we see is the teaching of how to act in the workplace. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose Eyes I find favor, and Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. In a foreign culture, Ruth would not have done this without permission. The law of the land for provision of the poor was that they could glean behind the reapers, and they could glean in the corners of the fields. This tells us that both Naomi and Ruth had come back empty-handed, were only doing whatever they could to have some food to eat, and Ruth showed the initiative of being ready to work for food and not just expect her mother-in-law to provide for her. Uh, she wanted to help out, and Naomi commends and encourages this. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. 
Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. That's about two-thirds of a barrel, of a bushel. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. And Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over when she'd eaten enough. And her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. She was commending her profitable labor. And then she pointed out the possibilities of God's provision through the workplace. Notice what she says next. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. Then she added, that man is our close relative, and he is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Now, Naomi is pointing out two aspects of God's provision with what she's saying here. Notice her words. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. God is showing his kindness to the living, Ruth and Naomi, by providing a safe place for Ruth to gather food following Boaz's harvesters. But he's also showing graciousness to the dead, meaning Ruth's former husband and Naomi's former husband, by providing the possibility of a kinsman redeemer. Now, you need to understand what that term means. Under the system of property ownership that was in place at that time, an inheritance was passed through the males of the family. Father would pass his inheritance to his son. The wife's provision for an inheritance was through her husband. And Naomi and Ruth had the threat of having no inheritance to keep because all of the men had died. The Israelite provision for this was called the Levirate Laws. Under this provision, if a married man died without a male heir, his brother could take his widow as a wife, and the children born to that union would be counted as the original husband's children for the sake of the inheritance. That way the family land would stay with the original family. If the dead man's widow had no living brother, then a close relative such as a cousin or an uncle could become the kinsman redeemer. That's what's meant by the term. The line of Elimelech and his son, who was Ruth's first husband, and through whom the inheritance would come, could be preserved if she got married to a kinsman redeemer. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the girls because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. There are differing dangers in any workplace. And the wise parent realistically accepts that policy and possibility and will give cautions to their children who are entering the workplace for the first time. How'd work go? What's going on there? I met this person. I met that person. I, I know this person. I know that person. Okay? How are you responding? What, what are you finding out there? And so as you prepare your kids for workplace success, it will build their loyalty to you. Their success beyond the home will increase their respect for your wisdom in regard to the world. Then Naomi coached Ruth in regard to propriety in courtship. 
One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you've been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Now, this is the strangest dating kind of instruction that we've ever heard in our culture, isn't it? You would never tell your daughter, you, you know, you got a possible boyfriend over there. Find out where he's sleeping. Go uncover his feet and lay down. No. We're in an entirely different culture in a different situation. And everything that Naomi tells Ruth is appropriate for that culture and situation. And Ruth said, I will do whatever you say. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. I believe mothers as well as fathers when they're around ought to play a key role in their children's courtship. We see Naomi taking this role to show her daughter how to court in a unique situation in a culture that she's not familiar with. And as we look at this, we can get a list of things we need to discuss with our kids about courtship. Now, in going into courtship topics... We're talking about a couple of basic needs that are met through courtship rituals and relationship that follows. Marriage. We all have needs for security and significance. So it, it so happens that men are more sensitive to the significance need and women are more sensitive to the security need. But every culture will have various applications of how to work to meet those needs. So here's some principles. First of all, discuss the cultural purpose of courtship. She says, my daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you'll be well provided for? We recognize that ultimately dating is about finding a mate. Even if our kids say, oh, I, I, we're just going to have some fun. Ultimately, what starts out as having some fun and getting to know somebody leads to finding a mate to marry. I remember when Joanne and I first started giving some specific instruction about dating to our sons. <laughs> we had lived in the country in, in Iowa, and we moved to Norfolk to pastor the church there, and our kids all started school in Norfolk, and my eighth grade son came home with a young lady one day, and they went up to his bedroom. And Joanne and I looked at each other, doesn't he know any better than that? What does that look like? You know, or something to that effect to each other. And so we went up right away, and he was showing her some toy or something that he had that uh, she'd asked about. Uh, and we brought them back down to where everybody was. And uh, we talked to each other. We, we need to give our boys some instruction on, on dating, because now they're close enough to where they can. Uh, when we were living in the country, we didn't worry about it. <laughs> and so she says, okay, Ron, teach them. <laughs> so I said, okay, boys, date girls. <laughs> First rule, 
date girls. Now, at that time, that was funny. <laughs> now, that's a serious command. <laughs> if you're a boy, date girls. Okay? And we had several other things that we went through. One of the commands to our boys was, you should date Christian girls. Well, how will I know if they're Christian? We'll give you three dates to find out. What that did was that told our boys, part of your responsibility in a date is to talk about spiritual things and your relationship to the Lord. And through the course of the years, we saw our boys do things like bring a Bible to give to a girl because they wanted to honor what we had told them to do. And they also really liked that girl. So she goes on. Is not Boaz with whose servant girls you've been a kinsman of ours? And so she, you discussed the proper people for courtship. The requirement of who would be able to best supply for Ruth's needs was that he be a kinsman redeemer. Now, Boaz was already known to Naomi in terms of his character, as can be seen by the things that she tells Ruth later. He was known to be a man of integrity, compassion, concern, honesty, ability to provide, and the like. Now, Mom, before your daughter goes on her first date, you need to talk to her about the kind of person you require for her to have a happy and fulfilling life. It will be her choice and her courtship but it will affect you and the extended family relationships. And you need to tell your kids about general qualities to look for. For instance, Christian kids should date other Christian kids. I remember when my son Tom came home from a date with the young lady that he later married. And he said, you got to know what their family is like. And we said, yeah, we'd like to. And one of our habits was after supper, we would have a daily devotional with the family, and then we'd sit down and watch Wheel of Fortune. And he said, you know, I had supper with them, and after supper, they read a daily devotion, and then they sat down and watched Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> and I thought... I bet you were comfortable with all of that. <laughs> yeah, I could participate. Of course, Tom is one who can talk to anybody. So, You want your kids to date other Christian kids, and you want to give them the best opportunities to find those Christian kids. A camp like Camp Assurance is one of those places, isn't it? Now, Discuss the proper place for courtship. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Naomi is giving advice about how to approach him and make known to him that you're available in a way that will be appropriate to the circumstances. Mom, give your girls advice about where and how to meet guys that are eligible to them in your mind. So you send your kids to youth group. No, youth group is not a dating service, but it's a natural place for Christian kids to meet each other. And you send your kids to Christian camps, and those are natural places to meet other Christian kids that come from other communities. And you send your kid to a Christian college if you're able. That's a natural place where you increase the chances of your daughter or son meeting someone who has the kind of qualities 
that you can approve. It's not a guarantee. But it helps. Then she says, wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Instruction in presenting yourself as your most attractive self is something parents need to talk to their kids about. Otherwise, they'll get it from TV and magazines. There is a way for a woman to make herself attractive that is proper, and there is a way for a woman to make herself attractive that will send the wrong message. And you should teach your daughters which is which. How to be attractive in a way that says you're not slutty. Okay? Discuss the proper time for courtship. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. I want you to notice that this time has less to do with chronology than it does with approachability. She's teaching Ruth about how to read this man and when to approach him in relation to the rhythms of life more than when on the clock. This approach will also demonstrate an appreciation for his day and an attitude of patience and self-control on the part of Ruth. Then discuss a proper approach. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Now, this was a culturally appropriate thing for the situation Ruth was in. Boaz would know what this meant. He would know that Ruth was seeking the protection of coming under his tent. Essentially, this was a proposal of marriage. Now, typically, you don't propose marriage on the first date. You know, and, and we understand that. Very different circumstance and cultural. It was also that culture's way of applying for welfare. There were definite financial considerations to this. Moms, talk to your daughters about how to develop a healthy relationship with a man. Tell them how to bring up subjects that are going to matter in life. Tell them how to make their own needs known in a way that will clue the guy in as to what is being asked of him if this relationship is to go any further. Instruct your daughters that they need to be prepared to let a guy go that will not respond to the genuine needs that they're going to have for support, for nurture, for emotional connection, and for consideration. And then let go at the proper time. He will tell you what to do. There are always times in courtship in which each person is evaluating how much further they want to go in this relationship. And they recognize that there are certain things that they will simply have to accept about the other person, that they may not be what, what they dreamed of. And if they sober-mindedly think that they cannot live with that for the rest of their life, then they need to let go. They should not let simple emotion or attraction rule them. Naomi has prepared Ruth for the possibility that the guy may not want her even if she wants him. Our children need to be prepared for rejection in a healthy way. They also need to be, be prepared to reject that which they discover that's not suitable to them. And then keep current with what's happening. 
When Ruth came to her mother-in-law after she did everything Naomi asked, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So Ruth does everything that Naomi told her to do, and what happens? Boaz tells Ruth he's flattered that she would approach him. And he says there's a, there's a closer kinsman redeemer. But if that man will not take her, he certainly will. And Naomi follows up with Ruth. Mom, it's appropriate for you to follow up with your daughters about their relationships. You need to know what happened on their dates. You need to know who was there and what was said and what does he, she think and how is she feeling. By infatuation, it's very easy for young girls to get their whole world wrapped up in the attentions of a boy. And they need you to keep a wider perspective on things. Naomi knew something about Boaz and how things worked that apparently Ruth did not know. He would take care of the matter that very day. You probably know things about how to read a boy's actions and words that your daughter doesn't know. And she needs to learn from your insight and share it with her. Do it as matter-of-factly as you can, but be honest and forthright. These things will help build loyalty by helping your child be successful in courtship. They'll discover how to present themselves favorably and honestly, and they'll discover the kind of boys you parents approve and the kind you disapprove, or in the case where we had sons, the kinds of girls that we approved or disapproved. Your teaching your children in relation to public propriety will strengthen the shoot that grows from the seed of loyalty that was nurtured by pleasantness. And you might be a mom that's saying something like this, well, how can I teach my daughter? I came from such a dysfunctional and damaged background. I surely don't want to teach her about all the mistakes I made, and I don't want to overreact with my mistakes and be unreasonably overprotective. How can I be this kind of advisor to my child? Mom, study the Word of God. Study the Word of God. It is the trellis that supports the plant of loyalty that needs some support. I bet you didn't know it had this much advice about dating already. And this is just scratching the surface. You can study many, many passages that will guide you by principle about what is right and reasonable. Study the word with your daughter before you go into these courtship years so that it can take root in her life. And then be the praise of their pos posterity. This is the fruit that comes from having loyal children after they grow up and begin families of their own. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and cared for him. And of course, Boaz and Ruth got married. They had children. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. How do you do this? 
by your affection with your grandkids. She laid him in her lap. By your attention, if they ask you to babysit, run to do it. <laughs> My wife had a full-time job in Kansas. And our daughter-in-law in Omaha would call sometimes and say, uh, we got a problem. Our kids are off school and I'm not. Her kids go to a different district than she teaches in. Could you possibly come up and watch the kids for a couple of days? Oh, Joanne jumped at the chance to do that. Jumped at the chance. Why? Because they're our lineage. It's a chance to make connections. It's a chance to show affection. It's a chance to show affirmation. <coughs> Children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. Psalm 103, 17 and 18 says, But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. They recognized God's blessing. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. They may have been exaggerating a little. Except we know the life of David. They were praising God and hoping great things for your children, for your grandchildren, by renewing your own spirit in your relationships with them. Mothers, can you nurture loyalty in your children? You can if you can be pleasant in your person and your prayers and your practices. Be pleasant in your person and your prayers and your practices. You can if you can teach the proper actions to them for both the workplace and for courtship. Teach the proper actions, both for the workplace and for courtship. And if you are ready to praise God for them, as you see him work through them to bring you an extension of your generations into another generation. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it gives us insight into the issues of life, even from a totally different culture, we find principles that are applicable and helpful to us. And we pray that we would take these things to heart and would honor you as you bless us. In thy name we ask it. Amen. Shall we stand together? We'll sing praise God to whom all blessings flow. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. 
Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen.